I'd like to encourage you to turn with me this morning to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. And I'd like to read verse 5 for us this morning as we begin our time together in God's Word. I invite you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to begin by looking at verse 5. I want you to notice what the Bible says here in verse 5 of Philippians chapter 2, and notice what God's Word says. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now this verse prepares us for one of the greatest passages in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, we could call this passage we're looking at this morning the centerpiece of the New Testament because it reflects the entire career of Christ from his eternity past all the way to his second coming. And we are let into the inner workings of the mind of the Lord Jesus so that we can see his motivation behind everything that he chose to do. But what is equally amazing as we look at this text is that it was written for a practical purpose. Verse 5 says to us, have this mind among yourselves. That is actually an excellent translation of the phrase because the you in the verse is plural, it is yourselves. So it means in your church, in your family, in your marriage, in your community relationships. This then is how we transform our relationships. We could call this passage the Jesus way. The Jesus way. I love how one Bible teacher has paraphrased verse 5. He puts it this way. In your relationships with one another, have the same attitude of mind that Christ Jesus had. So in other words, this is how we live a humble life so that we can experience true fellowship, true unity across all of our relationships. Now, this morning, as we think about this text, I want to bring a message on the Incarnation that I'm going to call, and I'm going to ask uh, if I could get a little help there moving our slide ahead, that I want to call this morning the Incarnation and the Way of Jesus. The Incarnation and the Way of Jesus. And I want to begin by looking together at an overview of the Jesus Way. Because this passage begins with Jesus' pre-existence in eternity past. And as we're going to see, he was fully God. But unlike earthly kings, he did not use his kingly power for himself. Instead, he put aside his kingly position to become human like you and me. But then he did more. One Bible teacher puts it this way, then he shed every layer of human status and descended downward through every level of human dignity, or we might say human indignity. 
And this morning, just to give us a preview of where we're going, let's look at a preview here of the Jesus way. I want you to notice, he became not just a human, but a servant. You will notice in this text that the word servant comes before the word human. So he became what many humans would not become. He became a servant. He went lower than many humans would go. And then he became not just a servant, but a slave. We're going to see the word here is used of a slave in that day. And then not just a slave, but a dead slave. And then because God was so pleased with this condescension downward, he was not just exalted, but highly exalted. Could I just stop for a moment and say if there was ever a Sunday in which I felt I could not preach, it is this Sunday. How could I, who am so unlike this, ever declare Christ's magnificence? I have to be very honest. I feel like sitting in the back row this morning with my head down in awe and total silence before the Lord Jesus Christ. But then what astounds me even more is that Jesus did all of this so he could live this way through me and through you. No wonder this is the centerpiece of the entire New Testament. And so let's look at it this morning, step by step, as we consider living the Jesus way. And I want you to notice that the first step downward in living the Jesus way is you surrender your personal rights. You surrender your personal rights. When verse 6, if you'll look at it, says, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. The word, therefore, form was the Greek word morphe. And it was a very interesting and picturesque word because it was used in the process of molding. And I want to put a mold here up in front of you this morning. Uh, this uh, plaster face came out of this wax mold. And what we all know about molding is that the mold bears the image of the exact features or uh, of uh, the, the, the image bears the exact features of the mold. So as you look at the plaster face in front of us, it bears all of the features down to the smallest detail of the wax mold. Now this is what God is saying to us. In the very same way, Christ has all the exact features of God down to the smallest detail. This is the strongest way possible to say that Jesus is God. We could put it this way, Jesus is the mold of God. He is God himself. The second person of the triune God. 
But then if you look down at verse 7, you'll notice that morphe is used a second time. Because it says he is in the form of a servant. It's the very same word. So I want you to think about this. All the essential features of God he had. Now the text tells us all the essential features of humans he has. This is the strongest way possible. You could not say it any clearer that Jesus is fully God and fully man in one person, the God-man, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But I want you to notice what he did. Look at verse 6 and 7. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. These two phrases tell us what God is like. As a child of God this morning, if you want to know what is your God like, the God who saved you, what is he like, these two phrases tell us. Christ did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now we know what it means to grasp something. It means that you seize something for yourself. You grab something for personal advantage. So Jesus did not use his status for himself. Instead, verse 7 says, he emptied himself. And we say this morning, of what? Did you notice there's no object? Did you see that? Christ did not empty himself of something. He emptied himself of himself, didn't he? He emptied himself of himself. This is a figure of speech. He gave up all of his rights. He abandoned his personal rights. This then is the very first step in the Jesus way. It is the surrender of personal rights. Uh, there was a missionary by the name of Mabel Williamson. And she once wrote a book with a very interesting title. The title of the book is, Have We No Rights? And she was writing to missionaries. She herself was a missionary to China. And so she was saying to her fellow missionaries, do we have any per personal rights? But what she wrote also has application to Christians. It's a book asking, do Christians have personal rights? How would you answer that question? What would you say? Well, her answer was an emphatic no. When we become Christians, we give up our rights to Jesus, don't we? That's what we do. And now we have privileges and responsibilities, but we do not have rights any longer. We have the responsibility to use our privileges to do God's will to serve him and to serve others. And what this text is telling us is this is what true humanity is. Brothers and sisters, this is what it means to be a real man. 
This is what it means to be a real woman. We have given our personal rights to God. It is the Jesus way. Now notice the second step down. The second step that he took down was this. You serve others' needs. You serve others' needs. Verse 7, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Now the word servant here is the Greek word doulos. And a doulos was the lowest slave possible. They were under somebody's total control. They had a servile life that they experienced. There were no rights, no dignity, no privileges or freedom. So if the house needed sweeping, the doulos swept it. If feet needed washing, the doulos washed them. If the privy pot in those days needed cleaning of fecal matter, the doulos cleaned it. That was the role of the slave. This past week I read about a very successful job counselor who had placed many people in many jobs. And he was asked, what is the secret of detecting a good worker? What would you say is the answer? If someone were to say, how can you tell if somebody is going to be a good worker or not? What is the secret? What's the key? Listen to his insight. He said, if you want to find out what a worker is really like, don't give him responsibilities Give him privileges. Most people, he said, can handle responsibilities if you pay them enough. But it takes a real leader to handle privileges. A lesser person will use privileges to promote self. A leader will use privileges to help others and build the organization. What did Jesus do? He was a leader, wasn't he? He used all of his privileges to benefit us and build his church. That's what he did. He served our needs for the building of his church to the glory of God. It is the Jesus way. And then, if he didn't go down far enough, the next step on this condescension downward is you sacrifice personal comforts. You sacrifice personal comforts. Look at verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now that last phrase in verse 8, even death on a cross, tells us how low Christ went. He sacrificed 
every comfort imaginable. I think all of us know that it was illegal for a Roman citizen to be crucified unless they had somehow become a criminal against the state. The Roman orator Cicero had this to say about the cross and Roman citizens. He said, far be the very name of the cross, not only from the body, but even from the eyes and the ears of Roman citizens. Yet this is the means. This is the means God chose to reveal to us his heart. And what it means to follow him. There's a Bible teacher by the name of Gordon Fee. And he talks about how the cross as a symbol of one's religion would have been so shocking in the city of Philippi where this was written. Listen to what he says. No one in Philippi used the cross as a symbol for their faith. There was no gold crosses, no crosses hanging from necks like a necklace, no ornate crosses as steeples on churches. The cross was God's and thus our scandal, God's contradiction to human wisdom and power that the one we worship as the Lord should have been crucified as a state criminal and set the example for us that we are to be willing to suffer for his sake as well. On a vacation, I had the opportunity to read a very interesting book. It's called Total Truth, and it was written by a woman by the name of Nancy Searcy. It is a book about the lordship of Christ over all of life. And in the book, something very interesting was revealed about manhood before the Revolutionary War. Before the Revolutionary War, there was a very interesting definition of masculinity. It is called communal manhood. Communal manhood. And communal manhood meant this. A man was expected to rank duty before personal ambition. Listen to what Nancy Searcy says. The good man before the Revolutionary War was one who exercised self-restraint and self-sacrifice for the common good. So your manhood was not defined as an individual, but in your relationships. In George Washington's day, you were considered a man if you sacrificed for the welfare of others. And you were less than a man if you put self-interest ahead of family, church, or town. So when Jesus went to the cross in obedience to his Father, when the Father said, there is no other way, 
And Jesus said, I then will go. It was the epitome of manhood. Jesus, as he went to that cross, was a man's man. And he showed all of us what a real man is. What a real woman is. When we sacrifice for the good of others. Last evening, as I was working here at the church and aware that there was going to need to be some shoveling before services this morning, I sent out a little text, not realizing that within a matter of a few minutes, three men would show up at this church and begin the process of snow removal so that when we came this morning, we would not be impeded getting into this building. And here I am finishing this message and watching these three men and saying, Lord, thank you that we have real men who serve the welfare of the body so much so that a little text goes out and they're here within minutes. Now look at this. The final step in the Jesus way is you will see God's future reward. Now look at this. Can this be right? You surrender your personal rights. You serve others' needs. You sacrifice personal comforts. Is this really the way? And yet what God says to us is yes. This is the way because this is what he rewards when he sees us living in the Jesus way. Look at verse 9 and notice what it says. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. You see, with God, the way up is down. That's what he rewards. And this morning, I, I want you to see something visually that may help us to see what's going on in this entire text. All three stages of Christ's career are in this text. 
the incarnation, the crucifixion, and his glorification. This is why it's very appropriate for us to call this the centerpiece of the New Testament. But I want you to notice what's in the center. For Jesus to get to glory, he had to go through the cross. There's no other way. There's no other way. God calls all of us the same way. To get to glory, he calls us to go the way of the cross. And when we go the way of the cross, he is so pleased because we are so much like our Lord that he promises he will reward us richly in heaven someday. Let's read together this very call that Jesus went through that he extends to us. Would you join me? Mark 8, 34 and 35. Let's read it together. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. This is the Jesus way. And if we take it, we will surely be rewarded. We will surely be rewarded. Let's bow our hearts together and thank our Lord. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, as we've entered into the Christmas season, let's let the true glory and greatness and meaning of what Christ has done for us sink deep in our hearts. I'm sure you feel like I do. That you would, this morning, sit on the back row with your head down in awe and total silence before the greatness of our Savior. And then to be even more awed that he did all of this 
that he might live this way through you, through me. So that our relationships on every front might be transformed. What a great salvation we have. What a personal Savior who lives this way through us. What a blessing to belong to a community of Christ followers. How we praise you, Lord, today. Your humility humbles us. Make us like yourself. For Jesus' sake, amen.